Welcome to IP Frequently. IP Frequently is brought to you by Dominion Harbor Enterprises and is sponsored by IPedia. IPedia, innovation clarity that provides real, actionable patent intelligence. Join our hosts, David Pridham and Brad Sheaf, advancing the issues of intellectual property. Hello and welcome to another episode of IP Frequently. I'm here as I always am with my business partner, close friend, and general pal, one David Michael Pridham. Hi Brad, how are you? I'm well, my friend. How are you? Well. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It's been a while. It seems, it seems like only yesterday we were touring the state fairs in the Northeast and the and Chesapeake that was a good Bay time. region. That was a great time. That crab fest was really good, but no, did, it didn't beat the clam fest. No. didn't beat the clam fest, and the pies were also outstanding. Everyone loves pie. But now, it's winter. It's winter time. And it's we have little... miles to go before we sleep, correct? Not a chill to the winter, but a nip to the air. Yeah. And a okay. uh, little Grateful Dead quote. For those of you scoring at home, we have a special guest with us today. Our other close friend, partner, pal, Matt Del Giorno. Why wasn't I invited to the state fairs? I don't understand. They don't like more than one Italian there for obvious reasons. So yeah. I, I filled that quota. Gotcha. Italian. For those of you that are unable to watch on the closed circuit television simulcast. And we're doing a lot of those now at your local ground rounds and Red Robins. Red Robins. And the occasional Taco Bell. Matt has by far and away the best hair of the three of us. So I want you to picture an Italian gentleman with exceptional hair. And you're halfway home. And you can find him on Tinder under Italian Stallion 34659. Swipe right, swipe right, swipe right. Yeah. I don't know what any of that means, but I hope it works out for Matt. So what's on your mind? Well, I don't know. There's been a lot uh, of activity since we uh, did our last set of interviews with Marshall Phelps and some of the other um, leaders of the IP space. A lot going on. We've got a new, um, uh, well, we're about to have a new director of the patent office. We are. The PTAB is running amok. As it usually does. And the oil states hearing has happened at uh, SCOTUS. So where do you want to start, guys? Let's ask our special guest. Let's Italian start, Stallion. Let's start with the SCOTUS. Let's, let's start with oil states. Matt wants to start with oil states, so we'll start right there, my friend. So we'll go right State over to Andre oil. and Anku and talk about <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Oil states. So, Matt, what did you think about the oral argument? I was a, I was a, little, a little concerned uh, at the admission. And before we get into that, though, we should say we, we, we do see your live... Um, the, the, the live tweets and the questions. We'll get to those at the end of the podcast. But we keep can't, tweeting. Yeah, keep tweeting. We can't um, answer them as they as they come in because then it would just be a Q&A type situation, more like a meet and greet. or a, Plus, a, many of them are very difficult to read. Yeah, uh, yeah especially the ones in Russian, if you know what I mean. I think you do. Anyway, I, I digress. Yeah, so oil states, the, uh, the argument being made that Interparties re-examination is constitutional, but somehow interparties review is not. Seem to I'm not sure I would have gone quite that direction. Then again, no one asked me to argue in front of the Supreme Court, and that's probably for the best. Look, it has to be a question that they prepped for, right? And there must be some rationale for that that answer. Maybe it's just when you leave something unchallenged for that long, how can you come along twenty how many years twenty years later and say, oh, no, they're all unconstitutional and we're just raising it now, so like abortion, could be, could be, and the we gold standard. I don't know. Just because something's been around a long time doesn't make it right. Matt Lauer was locking women in his office for years. That doesn't make it right. 
can't disagree with that. I can't even touch that. <laughs> Abortion, yes, but Matt Lauer, no. no. But Matt Lauer, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, got to draw a line somewhere. No, but I think uh, the, the outcome is what concerns me. I had hoped going in that uh, that crazy process would be overthrown. I think what we're seeing is a split along party lines in the Supreme Court with Kennedy as the swing vote. Um, and Kennedy seems to be an anti-patent guy. Uh, so I hope I'm wrong, but I would predict, you know, five to four, six to three affirming. The good news is that, um, you know, two or three years ago, if you had a five to four vote um, where you had four votes on the side of, um, you know, we'll call it innovation or patent rights, you know, th- that would be a godsend, right? I mean, yeah. with, with prior courts. So I think one thing that comes out of this is Judge Gorsuch is making a big difference on the court. He's a very, very strict um, uh, jurist when it comes to reining in the administrative state um, and anti-regulation, whatever you want to call them. But uh, I, I think that's I think that's a good thing, and I think that um, no matter what, you're going to see the PTAB get reined in significantly, um, whether it be as a result of the dissent in oil states or the new head of the PTAB. Um, but when you look at everything from the stacking of the panels to the conflicts of interest to the no amendments um, and, you know, to, to BRI, I mean, it, all of it is, is just complete utter nonsense. And at some point, there is a tipping point. And you see that, I think, with some of the arguments that the judges made, even the judges who are probably going to um, vote to affirm that, that, they, that they made, the problems they had with the PTAB, um, and some of the questions that came up at Andre Yanku's confirmation hearing. I, I mean, the, 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 there will be changes no matter what. The question is, is the entire process going to be thrown out or is it going to be scaled way back? Now, how, um, would they, how would the court do that, right? Because that's the interesting question, right? People, I think, kind of perceive this to a certain extent to be binary. Either they're going to come down on the side of the PTAB is unconstitutional, can't have it, it's out, or they're going to come down on the side of, eh, you know, let it go as it is. But one, one of the things they talked about um, as a result of Judge Breyer's question uh, about the number of years where you actually get certainty, when you've had a patent for a number of years, are you ever certain? Can an investor ever be certain? Um, you know, one thing that folks are talking about, and I don't know whether it's a real compromise or something that's just being debated, is uh, the, the the notion that you would somehow uh, draw a line between can the court pre-AIA patents and post-AIA. Of course, the court can do anything they want. Well, I mean, um, that seems more like a, a legislative thing than a Well, but I mean, you know, go read Roe v. Wade, for God's sake. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's one example of a, a way the, the court could, you know, could, could sort of split the baby, if you will. Okay. I, I'm not sure that the PTAB's going to feel chastened by a split decision, you know? Whether it's five four or six three or nine zero, oh, I think they're gonna they're gonna say that's a win for them. I think they're gonna feel like they can keep doing whatever they do, and if they won here, they'll win again. Um, so I, you know, I don't know that a split decision or scathing dissents, unfortunately, are gonna have any impact. I think the new director Andre is our best hope for reining reining that board in. I, I think you're right. I think the dissent in and of itself isn't gonna do anything, but I think it's what comes from that, and you've already seen. What um, what has come from a lot of the advocacy by conservative groups and pro patent groups as the buildup came to oil states, um, people shining a light on these practices of the of the PTAB, you know, the, whether it be the panel stacking or or 
having judges with representing uh, a large tech company and then coming in and deciding the, those cases um, not even a year later um, that that all came out in the confirmation hearing so I'm not I'm not saying that because of uh, a dissent you're gonna see the PTAB suddenly say oh shit we're 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 wrong we're gonna change our um, process or, or whatever but I think it's gonna come externally and I think the PTAB is going to change and I think Ayanku is going to be part of it I think um, you know, ultimately, I think Congress is going to be a big, a big, a big part of it as well, and hopefully the federal circuit will step up on some of these cases and, and actually start building some parameters around what it is that the PTAP should be doing. Do you think the federal circuit has? I mean, obviously they have the judicial background. Do you think they have the technical background to really understand what's going on there and help in that process? Because they certainly haven't displayed that to this point. Um. I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but I, I'll say the problem with the federal circuit, I think, okay. is that they are worried about Congress. They have dominion over patent cases. No pun intended. They Harbor Group, DominionHarborGroup.com. Correct. Um, and if they see Congress considering patent legislation, I think they take it upon themselves to try to keep Congress out of it. They feel like they can come out with decisions that are anti-patent. Hey, look, Congress, we're we're reining the problem in. You stay out of it. So I, I think it's a bit territorial between legislative and um, judicial branch. And and I and I worry that instead of calling balls and strikes, they're making decisions to to manage the legislative process. So who wins there, right? So is the federal circuit trying to protect its own domain, or do you think that they have an agenda? around the direction the whole sort of patent monetization debate should go, and they want to push it in that direction. I don't disagree with what you said. I think you're probably right. But why do you think they, I mean, why wouldn't they just go, I don't give a shit. I mean, Congress, do whatever you want to do, and we're going to, as you say, we're going to call balls and strikes. I think they think they know better, and they're probably right. I mean, uh, I'm not saying um, that they're the most competent patent jurists in the world, but as compared to Congress... And the folks who will be passing patent legislation, they know, you know, 50 times more than those guys. So I think they do know more. They think they know better. Um, and that's why they would want to maintain control and set the direction. Now, the direction that they set, we should talk about that because I don't think they're, they're headed in the right direction for the patent system. What direction do you think they're I mean, what do you think is driving the direction they're going? I mean, obviously, for whatever reason, the, the ordained patent specialists from the judicial perspective, don't seem to be huge fans of patent rights. So what, what do you think? Uh, and for those of you who don't know, you can you could look this up for yourselves, I guess, but why would you if I could just tell you? Uh, Matt actually clerked for former Chief Judge Rader at the Federal Circuit. So he, unlike David and I, actually knows what the hell he's talking about. So I think they're a little bit torn I mean, they've, they've been getting beat up by the Supreme Court. And, you know, every time they do that, it's like they're serving two masters. They, they don't want to get reversed by the Supreme Court. They want to try to carry out what the, they think the Supreme Court is telling them about patents, which is not so great. Right. They want to keep Congress out of it, and they've got to do things to do that. So they're – I don't know what direction they want to follow, but – in, in, in doing these two things, they're not following a good direction. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, again, you're, you're 
certainly in this room uniquely qualified to speak to this, but do you believe the federal circuit has a responsibility? And obviously the way our judicial hierarchy is structured, once the Supreme Court makes law, it's law. But do you believe the federal circuit has a responsibility to try and keep things, you know, more down the middle when they perceive the Supreme Court, who, I mean, you could make the argument the federal circuit is not particularly adept at ruling on patent cases. The Supreme Court is god-awful at it. I mean, there's no one on the Supreme Court that can claim to have any kind of expertise with respect to patents. So certainly the federal circuit is better equipped than the Supreme Court to address some of these issues on a technical sort of patent law sort of perspective. Do you think that when they believe the Supreme Court to be in error in their view, there's a responsibility of the federal circuit to try and push that back towards the middle? Or do you think the federal circuit should just say, all right, that's what the justices said, and that's what we'll do? They have a huge responsibility. The, the decisions coming out of the Supreme Court are so vague. I mean, the Alice decision, when it came down, we all read it, and, and we thought, eh, it's more of the same, you know, okay, business method, you know, from 100 years ago, and it's now on the Internet, whatever. Okay, fine. It's not patent eligible. Um, and then what we've seen after that is judicial gloss um, and really taking that decision and sending it down a very dark road. And the Federal Circuit has had a number of opportunities to, to stop that, to point in a different direction. They had the ultra-mercial remand, which came along with the Alice decision. And uh, with their very first decision, they, they pushed and interpreted the, the ambiguities the wrong way. Um, and, and the patent system is suffering for it. So I, I, I do think I, I do think they're not, they're not doing their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us would agree the Federal Circuit isn't doing their job. So is the solution there, you know, continue to, to tweak the Federal Circuit, which you can only really do when someone retires, dies, quits, whatever, and replace them with someone else? Or should we just do away with the Federal Circuit and go back to just the, the general circuits and, you know, when you have conflict amongst those circuits, let that go to the Supreme Court, kind of the way the rest of the law works. I mean, I, I don't know that that helps the problem. I mean, the same pressures that the federal circuit is under, would they be any different if we distributed it among the circuits? I mean, maybe. Maybe those circuits don't feel as uh, enslaved to Congress uh, because it's you know, not an area of unique jurisdiction. Yeah, I don't know that it helps from those of us that believe in patent rights. I don't know that it helps us because you certainly have, I don't know, the Ninth Circuit would be on board with a program we would like. I think there's a lot of circuits that probably wouldn't be. So I don't know that it necessarily helps us, but obviously one of the questions is, all right, you know, we've had a multi-decade experiment here. Does Does the Federal Circuit make sense, or should we just say F it and, you know, let patent law be treated like the rest of federal law? Isn't the question, I mean, why is patent law so special, right? I mean, we have all these other... Um, uh, laws. We have all these other uh, areas of the law where we have the circuit system and it works well. And when you have conflicts between the circuit, it, circuits, it naturally bubbles up to the Supreme Court. I mean, it seems to me that the federal circuit is uniquely unqualified at this point to bring any type of um, cohesive or coherent um, case law uh, or structure behind the most important areas of patent law, like 101, like damages. And potentially, if you went back to the old circuit system like you do in other areas, like abortion is one example, but uh, um, 
uh, you know, Obamacare, the Trump travel ban, went through the circuit system and eventually got up to the Supreme Court faster because of some of the conflicts between the circuits. So um, I, I'm all for getting rid of the federal circuit. I don't think they serve a purpose. I don't think that they're uniquely qualified. A lot of the judges in the federal circuit don't have it. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't have a clue about how to um, about, about technology or about patents, and they some of them even hate patents. So I think from a, um, a a patent owner perspective, an investor perspective who's interested in advancing patent rights, it makes more sense to you can't get any worse. It's hard to be unbiased, right? Because ten years ago, when the federal circuit was coming out with pro patent decisions, I'd say, oh, federal circuit was a great idea, you know, <laughs> they're doing a great job. And now that the wind's blowing the other direction, we're saying, oh, is this a good idea at all? Yeah. Because I believe in a, in a strong patent system, and right. that's not what they apparently believe in these days. The circuit system would lead to venue shopping. I mean, that's that's something that Congress is concerned about, the Supreme Court is concerned about. That would certainly heighten that. But it's seasonal. I mean, we're in the Christmas season. Shopping is seasonal. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I mean, there's only a few days left to shop for a venue before Christmas. <laughs> I think we want to point that out. I, well, what about... Then it's wedding season, winter wedding season. Do you need a venue for and, that? I guess you the, do. And the Cotillions. The Cotillions? You ever been to a Cotillion? I have been to a Cotillion. You came out in 1965, and ever since then, Johnny bar the doors. Yeah, that's correct. It's born three years later, and <laughs> everything else was awesome after that. So Hello, Harvey Milk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I did... The, here's a question, right? So we, we talk about... And Matt, you make a good point. You know, we, when the Federal Circuit was pro-pat, and we liked it, now they're anti-pat, and we don't like it so much... What is the reason? What I mean, patents, and maybe it's a terrible analogy, so I'll apologize in advance, but patents are sort of like a lot of things that we try to legislate around, like guns, right? I mean, a gun sitting on the table is just a thing, right? It depends on how you use it. So why would a patent system, I mean, clearly history has proven that patent systems move economies in the right direction, right? I mean, if to, the countries that don't have patent systems don't have an economy. So to say that, you know, anyone would be against a patent system, and I guess you could modify that by saying, well, maybe they're against a strong patent system. Okay, I, my counterargument to that would be, what's the fucking point of having a weak anything, right? I mean, why set up a system if you're going to make a weak one? It just seems, why not have it? So this changes topics a little bit. This isn't germane just to the federal circuit, but w why would anyone be against, particularly the courts, be against a patent system? You can ask uh, Google. Um, I mean, it's it's, well, yeah, it's sure. all okay. right. Yeah. Congress is influenced by money, um, and Google's out spending more money than, than anybody else combined on patent reform. They hate patents. Why why do they hate patents? Because they're late to the innovation game, and they make money off of incorporating other people's technology, and they don't want to pay for it. So, you know, Google and Cisco and other companies pump money into the system and influence the decision makers. Uh, so so we're sort of at the whim of of corporate America and the companies that happen to have gotten very successful and very wealthy have done it on the backs of other people's innovations and, and so they're trying to influence the regulatory schemes so they don't have to pay for it. So I get it, right? And so I, obviously I completely agree. I, so I think big tech has bought Congress, at least with respect to this issue. We see that having played out in the AIA. We see that having played out in, in uh, the patent legislation, the sort of anti-patent legislative reform legislation that has come out since then. And, and so say what you will about that. Congress is broken. It is what it is. But do you think that same thing applies to the judiciary? I mean, how does that, I mean, let's, let's just hope that, the, that there, no one's buying judges, right? That's, that, that creates a, an even worse situation than people buying lawmakers. 
So do you think it's just the pressure that's being applied to them, or do you honestly think well, it's you know, not, they're, they're getting not, free no vacations yeah, to... No one's buying judges. No, one, I don't believe that. No one's buying judges. But, it, but, but judges do have loyalties to parties, the people who uh, appoint them and confirm them. And so if you're a Republican, you believe whatever. And, and if Republicans are being you know, lobbied heavily by Company X, then that becomes the Republican view. So I, I do think they're tied to their parties. There's party loyalties. And I, as I said before, I do think the judges are um, worried about legislation from Congress, which also creates that tie back to what's happening in Congress. What's Congress going to do? Who's influencing Congress? So it's indirect, but it's there. I, I think a lot of it is the way it was sold, right, to the judiciary and to the um, to the Congress, uh, meaning it being anti-patent agenda. And so, and it was brilliant the way that big tech did it. Um, but what they did is they turned it into a tort reform argument. And when you look at tort reform... Uh, and not you, cakes, right? No, not tarts. Tarts. What a tort. So you're talking like a torta or a tart? Either. We're not talking about either of those. It doesn't matter. We this could. Thing. We'll get to that in a minute. I don't, let's finish. No, I like sure. torts. I mean, I there are a lot of different ones, too. The ones with the torts, jam. Et with that, that but I don't, jam I don't think they great. need... I'm not sure that they need to be reformed. Like a flourless tort? Exactly. Flourless chocolate tort. No one doesn't like that. I like flour, though, too. I also like stories and walks in the lane. Don and... Um, But, you know, they turn it into a tort reform discussion. And so a lot of judges, as Matt said, are... um, You know, Republican appointees especially are um, pro-tort reform. And so you look at how they they reformed um, uh, tort law in the 90s and capped recoveries um, in, in in different types of in different types of cases. Um, and, and so and judges track that, right? I mean, a lot of these judges come out of the legislative branch, whether it be congressmen or whether they be, um, uh, whether they be advisors uh, to committees or, or counsels to different committees in the Congress. So um, that's how Google and the tech companies, you know, that's how they, they spun it. And what's happening now is a lot of those same conservative judges are realizing this is really not a tort reform issue. This isn't a lawyer enrichment issue. This isn't a bunch of um, meso cases being filed in a certain district. You get a certain judge so that we can get classes certified and so forth. This is really um, a property rights issue, which is also a conservative issue. So you have that at loggerheads. At the same time on the Democratic side, a lot of the money came in on the um, tech uh, side to Obama and to the Democrats in the late 2000s, um, late, or, you know, the early 2000s. Um, and that bought a lot of votes for the same type of reform. So you had a confluence of conservatives wanting tort reform and Democrats rich in tech money that got the AIA passed. Now both sides are seeing that uh, the result of this is anti-innovation, anti-little guy, which bites at the Democratic agenda, and it's anti-property rights, which bites at the Republican agenda, and that's why you're seeing Senator Coons, who's a progressive Democrat, join with Senator Cotton, who's one of the most conservative Republicans around, um, to advance the Strong Patent Act, which completely um, eradicates most of the AIA. And so that does bleed over to the judiciary, though. And when Republican judges are looking at these cases, whether it be district court or uh, appellate judges, they're looking at it through the lens of where they come from. And so that tort reform lens is changing slowly. Um, but I, that's one of the reasons I embrace getting rid of the federal circuit, because I believe there are a lot of folks in the federal circuit whose um, uh, paradigms are already built in uh, in terms of not 
not embracing patent rights, not embracing the ability of an individual to get a patent and enforce it, uh, embracing the ability of larger companies to, um, it's almost like a free market um, well, it's, I mean, and some of those judges are some of the judges that are longest in tenure on the yeah. federal circuit. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, the Johnny-come-lately judges are the ones that are causing the, the problem. There. No, those, are the judges, bad, those are the bad yeah. Judge Chen, so Judge I mean, Moore, just, I mean, I just Judge find that Stoll interesting. are the best ones. The ones that have come in in the midst of this, of this you know, philosophical sea change about patents are not the ones that have been on the federal circuit or are, are, are not the ones that are causing that are necessarily anti-patents. Guys that you would have thought would have seen all this, known all this. But Judge Bryson, who is your good friend and mentor, correct? You vacation with him at least twice a year? Yes. Or no? The Judge Bryson? I, va- I vacation with a guy named Judge So we've Bryson. now put a couple Completely of photos up on our Twitter feed of last year in Ocean City, New Jersey, where you guys spent a lovely month there together in a cottage on the beach. Judd. That's Judd Bryson. Judd Bryson. Judd Different okay. guy. Oh, shoot. Okay, well now, I yeah. stand corrected. Now, Judge Mayer and I have been known to run around a little but that's a different kind of thing. Well, maybe this circle back to your original question, which is wh- what are their technical backgrounds? I mean, the, the guys that have been there a long time, you know, back before the transistor was invented, maybe they just don't appreciate software, computers, you know, machine learning, AI, Judge IoT, all that stuff. Oh, the IoT. The Internet of Things. The Internet of st- it should be the iOS, like the Internet of Stuff. Yeah. You know what they should do? They should put the... the, the International Olympic Committee in charge of deciding which patents are valid. And then all you need to all you do, do is bribe them. You bribe them. Or right. you promise them like a couple of good seats in Rio or a, you know, a couple of seats at Spago. At least you know what the rules are. Yeah. Huh. Nice right. car. Give a nice ride. Yeah. Well, look, we don't always have Matt with us. We're kind of winding down this particular episode. We are? We are. I mean, we're about out of time. It's been a stimulating conversation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I may be talking a lot because I'm used to talking over the crowd at the, the state fairs that we went to this summer. And we don't before. We don't always get Matt. Matt's in, Matt is a hair model. Matt His hair is that. in demand. Correct. So we don't always have him available for IP frequently. So we need to do some things that we typically are IP frequently staples. Wrestle? And we could wrestle. Um, but then the folks not you know not seeing the simulcast are not going to get the benefit. Or the sounds, Facebook, the Facebook Live. Yeah, it just sounds it just sounds like wrestling, which isn't really. Don't forget at the end to talk about how we're going to storm the patent office at some point in the future and light our patents on fire. Not Has ours. Someone done that already. You're an inventor. Have you talked no, about that true. at all? No, I could light my patent on fire. Matt, we we need to. I think we need to do a Would you rather? With okay, Matt. you're good at that. Why don't you frame that up? What? Okay. Would you rather for Matt? Would you rather? Would he rather? You, you and I always do it. Do it oh, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no yeah. problem. Would you rather spend a month on the Jersey Shore in the middle of August without air conditioning with Mr. Sheaf and uh, Judd Mayer in a little bungalow on the beach, of course, on the beach, so you, get that, you do get that nice Atlantic air. Would you rather do that? That's a month on the beach. Or, or would you rather do one... 45-minute campaign stop with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR, who was, by the way, the only four-term president. Now, he didn't serve all four terms, uh-huh. but he was elected four times, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh-huh. FDR. So it's, is it FDR is it Sheaf and Mayor in a cottage for a month with no AC? I'm going to say this. I, I, Mr. Sheaf, tremendous guy, enjoy uh, everything about him but big guy I feel like in the humidity in the Jersey Shore in the summer is going to be a big sweaty guy and I do believe there's only one bed in that cottage 
again, we're not judging here. Right. I No, even if I was on the floor, I'm going to pass on the cottage. I'm going to go for the new deal. FDR. I feel like FDR. we all need, at this point... A chicken in every pot. A new deal. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. Can you provide some more detail around this whole thing about me being a big guy? Um, I'm just talking about height. I don't know what other proportions that you were thinking of. I'm not rotund. No, tall. Oh, here we go. And so this, this is now getting to the hashtag Me Too point of the night. I mean, we're going <laughs> well, there. Well, you know, I mean, we could. Of the night? Yeah. The evening. Yeah, well, of course. I, some of us have been up since one a.m. Yeah, well, so some of us have. That's, that's exactly right. Some of us. All right. Well, I, I think that was I think that was profitable. I think we had a good discussion. I'm hoping we can have Matt back again soon, and uh, follow up on some of these other issues. I think we should probably make some predictions. We probably need to sit down and make some yeah. predictions at new some point so we can get that for the new year as we roll into the year of our Lord 2018, which is knocking on the door. I believe that's it as we speak. And uh, so we have that to look forward to. As always, we appreciate your time and attention here at IP Frequently, and we'll catch you on the next episode.